In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want to start today with a presupposition I'm going to work with uh, for the rest of our time today, and it's one that I, I think all of you will probably agree with me on. I, I can't imagine get any, getting any push back on this. Uh, not that this has ever really happened, but I, I don't think it's going to start this week. I, I don't imagine any of you sending me an angry email this week telling me how much you disagree with this point. And, and my presupposition today is that we live in a chaotic world. I think we can all agree on that. There's a lot of chaos going around. And I actually thought about starting this message with a, a few examples of that chaos in my life or that I've seen in some of your lives or on TV, but then I thought, I don't need to do that. Uh, the, I don't want to waste your time. We all know about the chaos that's going on around us. And, and I don't know about you, maybe we disagree on this, but I have thought to myself quite often, I prayed for this too, that, that what this world needs in the midst of all the chaos is, is for someone to come in, someone who can actually take charge and, and grab a hold of, of the reins of the world and bring order to the midst of this chaos. I don't know if you've thought about that or prayed for that, but I've thought that. I, I do think that many of us feel that way about every four years when there's a presidential election, whether you've liked the president uh, that, that has been in power and you're hoping that during their next four years they can really start to enact all of the things that they've promised or whether you have not liked the president and you're hoping now is the time for that new person to come in and bring order to the chaos. I think every four years we tend to be filled with hope that, that maybe things will be different now. Maybe this new person can change things, bring order to the chaos. Uh, I, I felt that way in one particular situation in, in my life a number of years ago now. I, I was actually just starting college at Concordia University, and uh, as, as part of my studies there, I, I thought I was going to be a teacher, which I, I guess I kind of am, but I, I thought that I, I might be an elementary school teacher, and as, as part of that, I had to do some observation. We were assigned a classroom, and we had to watch a teacher do his or her thing with the, the students. And uh, I remember I was assigned this, uh, this school, this classroom, about a mile away, and uh, my first day there was chaotic in every sense of the word. I, I remember uh, that it rained on my way there, and I'm sure that it was cloudy and dark, and it had been forecasted for rain, but I was a clueless college kid, and I didn't have an umbrella, and so I walked there, and I got to the, the school just dripping, soaking wet, and I checked in at the front desk, and I remember the secretary looking at me a little strangely, and she was obviously too busy for me, but she pointed me upstairs, and I remember chaotically wa wandering through the halls, trying to find my classroom where all these kids were running, and I remember getting in the, the room, and it was chaos, and I know it wasn't quite like how I remember it, because I remember it like chimpanzees in the zoo, where like kids were hanging from the, the rafters and jumping on desks and throwing things at each other, and uh, it, it seemed to me that what this this classroom needed was someone to take charge, right? Uh, preferably the teacher and not me because I was not in a position to do that. They wouldn't have listened to me if I tried. But someone, right, needed to come in and grab a hold of the reins and, and to bring order to the chaos. The, the classroom needed that. And, and again, I feel some days like that's what our world needs. Someone who can come in, someone with power, but also love and, and take hold of the reins of this world to bring order to the chaos. We live in a chaotic world. Uh, now, I know that for, for some of us, it might feel like this is new, right? Maybe we have experienced a time of peace and, and rest, and, and it feels like things are especially chaotic. But I think the truth is, as we look through history, it's always been this way. <laughs> there has always been 
more than enough chaos going around. Uh, in fact, if you look at the history of, of the people of Israel, uh, at the time of our reading for today, and I encourage you to flip open maybe to page two or three, our reading from 2 Samuel 5, uh, the, the moment we're reading about in history was, up to this point, a very chaotic time period. That The people of Israel were in chaos. Uh, they had been brought into this promised land uh, a long time before, but, but life was anything but flowing with milk and honey. Uh, you had the 12 tribes of Israel who were disjointed and, and not united as one. There were wars from within and without. You had all of these foreign nations and armies, the Canaanites, uh, the, the arch enemy, the Philistines who were always wreaking havoc. Uh, the, the life in the world of the ancient Israelites was chaotic, again, in every sense of the word. And now to their credit, to the people of Israel's credit, with all of this chaos going on, uh, they recognize that they need someone to come ch- take charge, someone to grab a hold of the reins and, and bring order. And so they, they go to God and they ask him for a king, someone to lead them. Now, you know the irony in that, right? That the God had been their king and he was doing a, a perfectly good job of it. And, and now they're asking for like a cheap replacement, right? For him to, to raise up one of their own who could never do the, the, the job that he had been doing. But, but God gives them the king. Right? And now there's this moment of hope, like we have every four years. We're like, maybe things will be better now. Maybe someone will change things and bring order to the chaos. But if you know anything about the first king, Saul, right, you know that he was a chaotic man. And life didn't get any better, not under Saul. But then, to, to speed up the story, then came another king. Uh, the king we read about today, King David. And as we read in the first five verses, David is finally that king who takes a hold of the reins and brings order to the chaos. We we, we read about the the unity that he brought to the people, right? In in the the first five verses, all of the tribes come to David. They're united in heart and soul and mind, and and together they they agree they will obey him, they'll give him their allegiance, and this is amazing. Uh, This would be like today, uh, Democrats and Republicans going to whoever was in power, the president, and saying, we will follow you. We are united. We'll pass any legislation you give us. We'll do what you say, right? That would, that would never happen. But that's what's happening in Israel. These 12, not two parties, 12 parties are getting together and they're saying, David, we will follow you. We give you our, our allegiance. David unites them as one people for the first time. And, and he also brings peace. Uh, he has defeated the enemy largely, and even the Philistines, the arch enemy, will never be a, a major power to be reckoned with after David's time. He is finally able to conquer the enemy. It would be like our president today calling troops home from all over the world, wherever they are stationed. So they come back, the world is at peace now. We don't need you to be in Germany or Korea or the Middle East or wherever they are, right? That, it's almost unthinkable to imagine that, but that's what's happening under David's rule. Life is good. But there's one problem. Any of you know the problem? The problem is it doesn't last. <laughs> and teachers, uh, talking about the classroom earlier, teachers, you know this, parents, you know this, all of us know this from experience that when you have a moment of peace and, and bliss, right, you better soak it in because chaos is probably coming. And so teachers, you know, if, if the kids are all getting along and all playing nice, you know it's probably only going to be a few minutes before some kid bites another one or someone's throwing up or eating a crayon, right, and, and all chaos breaks loose. And that's what happens with Israel. 
They have this glorious moment of peace and unity uh, amongst the people, and, and it's still pretty good under David's son, but after that, it all falls apart. And here and there, for the next thousand years, look at a, a few years, maybe a decade of, of peace, some king will get it right, but then it's chaos again. It's this vicious cycle. And, and if you fast forward that cycle and play it out until the, the day when B.C. changes to A.D., you'll see that the people of Israel are just as unpeaceful and divided as ever. The chaos is still there. You see, when, when the calendar's changing from B.C. to A.D. in that first century world, there are divisions all over the place with the people of Israel. And, and you know about some of them. You've read them uh, in the New Testament, right? And one of the groups, the divisive groups in, in that time, uh, is a group called the Pharisees. You know about them, right? And, and they thought that they had figured the law out. They knew how to, to make God happy. That, that They thought they had it down. But then you had another group called the Sadducees. They were the rulers of the temple uh, from which the, the high priest came. They thought they were the power brokers of the world. You, you had another group over here. They were called the Zealots because they were so zealous in their, their faith and, and they were particularly violently opposed to Rome who was ruling uh, their country. They weren't happy about that, uh, that this foreign oppressor had taken charge and they were actually kind of known uh, for connecting themselves with this other group that was known for carrying knives under their shirts and pulling them out in crowded places, wreaking havoc uh, against uh, the Roman oppressor. And then you had this other group that actually left Jerusalem because they thought, this is so messed up, we're just going to get out of here and start our own community by the Dead Sea. Uh, point being, there are all these divisions within Israel around the time of Jesus. Uh, the, the world is chaotic and, and, and their land is, is ruled by this foreign uh, world power, Rome, and, and yet it's into that chaos the new king comes. Uh, you know who it is. It was one who is an awful lot like David, actually. <laughs> Did you notice that in our reading for today? Or, or do you remember anything about David? Do you remember what David's job was growing up, anyone? He was a shepherd, right? So here you have David, a shepherd, and in our reading for today, we hear that about at the age of 30, <laughs> he starts to reign and rule as king. Who does that sound like? Jesus, right? Our good shepherd, who just so happens at the age of 30, shows up uh, by the Jordan River with a man named John, his cousin, and his first public words are, repent, for the kingdom of God is here, <laughs> right? It is into that chaos, like David, that Jesus steps into, and, and he begins to reign and rule. He, he's like David, and yet he's not, because while David brought peace for a little while, a generation or two, Jesus came to bring a peace that will last. And, and while David was able to unite the tribes for a time, Jesus will unite his people together forever. Jesus is the king that the people of Israel had been longing for, their hearts had been aching for for centuries through all that vicious cycle of peace and chaos and peace and chaos. Jesus came to bring order to it all, to grab a hold of the reins of the world and to lead his people forth. Jesus is the king they needed and he did bring unity and there are lots of examples of that uh, but I'll, I'll just focus on one real quickly and that is the unity that he brought to his disciples. 
Now, we don't know a whole lot about the 12 uh, apostles, the disciples, his, his little band of brothers there, right? And we know a few bits and pieces, like you might know some stories about Peter, his brashness, his boldness, his denial of Jesus, or you might know that, that John was called the beloved disciple, right? That might sound familiar, that Thomas doubted. We don't know a lot about the rest, uh, but what we do know is that they were a diverse group. They would not have been naturally united. So we have uh, a few of them who are just regular Jewish guys, fishermen, trying to live day by day, put food on the table. But then we have one of them named Simon the Zealot, who was a part of that group I mentioned earlier that that carried around knives under their shirts, stabbing the, the foreign Roman oppressors, the Romans, right? And then you have another one, Matthew, a tax collector who worked for Rome. Imagine how the two of them get along. And then the rest of them are like, we just want to fish and feed our families, right? These 12 guys would not have been naturally drawn to each other, but they were. They're united not by the, the club that they had joined or the blood that ran through their veins, but they were united as one around their king, around Jesus, around the one who came like David to bring peace. You know that Jesus talked a lot about peace, about turning the other cheek. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. He, he looked at a coin with Caesar's face on it, the, the enemy of the Jewish people, and he said, just give it back to Caesar. Be at peace with your rulers. Don't cause trouble. Pay your taxes. Jesus talked a lot about peace, but then he also gave peace by stretching out his arms as king with a crown of thorns upon his head. And he laid down his life so that those of us who are enemies with God because of our sin would now be his friends and even his beloved children. Jesus came to be the king that that our hearts are longing for. The the ones that every four years we're we're hoping that that a new power will come in and change things. Jesus is that one. He's already come. Now, this is where I, I might get the angry email <laughs> if I'm going to get it because I know that it, it very rarely looks like Jesus is reigning and ruling as king. And it would be very easy to say, yeah, but pastor, how can you say Jesus is king with, with peace and unity when I look around me and I see anything but peace and, and there's all of this chaos? And I think the reason why it's hard to see that Jesus is king is because his kingdom looks so different. It's upside down from the way the world works. Right? Jesus works through the poor and the weak. He works through those who grieve and those who mourn, those who are persecuted, right? Those are the ones that he uplifts and, and sends out. And, and Jesus in his kingdom, he brings victory through death and he brings glory through a cross. And if we're expecting the kingdom of Jesus to look like all of the other power brokers of our world, we will be disappointed and But we know how they have worked, right? And we know the chaos that has come from them. But Jesus is different in all of the best ways. He truly is the king that we need. Uh, I want to close by wrapping up the story I told you at the beginning about that classroom, that chaotic classroom with the kids hanging from the ceiling. Uh, I need to tell you that eventually the teacher came in and she brought order. Uh, With the snap of a finger, those kids were down off of the ceiling and off of the desks and they stopped throwing their things and peace was restored and unity came to that classroom. Uh, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but she showed up and things turned how they should have been. And do you know what my role in all of that was? Nothing, (laughs) right? I was just there to observe. I sat, I was a spectator, and I observed the teacher do her thing. Again, I don't remember how it played out, but I was just there to watch. I I did not say anything. I did not do anything. She didn't even know who I was. The kids had no clue who I was. I just observed. And looking back on it now, I think I could applaud her uh, that she did a good job. 
And I say that because I, I think that that's how many of us feel about living in God's kingdom. And maybe we've even been told that that's our role, that in God's kingdom, we're just there to show up at church on Sunday and applaud the king and, and worship him and praise him and say, thank you, God, for reigning and ruling. And we think that's it, right? We're just spectators in some game that's happening and we're not a part of it. And I would like to say that I don't think that could be further from the truth, that we are not just spectators in the kingdom of God told to sit on our hands and watch him do our thing, show up on Sunday and clap. Now, that's part of it. We praise God and we worship him for all that he's done. He has done things that you and I could never do. He is who we could never be. But, but that king has also chosen to, to use us and work through us. The peace he came to fill us with, he says, no, go out and share it. <laughs> the unity that he has given to us as, as believers by faith. He, he says, go out and welcome more people in. Jesus, before he left, he, he sent out his spirit. You know that, right? And, and that was his way of, of handing over a badge, of deputizing us and saying, I have given you power and authority now in my kingdom. Go get to work, not just as an observer, not just as a spectator, but as a partner in the gospel. We do that, recognizing that I'm not king, you're not king, none of us are kings, but Jesus is king. And he is the king we need. In his name, amen.